0: Welcome back to the show. We're talking to Ken Daniel so today, a uh, fellow Filipino and I think it's, you know, pretty cool just to just know other people in venture capital who are from similar backgrounds to, you know, Earl and I seeing, you know, who you know in the VC world and seeing how receptive they can be to what you can also contribute to them. It's been something that I've really enjoyed seeing. But yeah, Ken is an amazing guest today. He has experience branching from Boston Consulting Group to investment banking at Evercore and then recently doing some big things at Shasta Ventures and to now a uh, corporate development job at Smartsheet. Yeah, I feel like Ken's just a great person to talk to and just pick his brain about startups and the venture capital world. So Ken, I can't say enough and uh, thank you for coming
1: here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah,
2: no. Perfect. And by the way, for the listeners, you know, Ken's my go-to guy if I have a question on data AI enterprise. Like, there's only one person in mind for me. So, uh, we're very lucky to to have, hear his thoughts today on those, and obviously his career on VC and now uh, in corp dev. So, super excited. Ken,
0: you know, I think just a good way to start started would just be like you know, talking about you came to the US not too long ago, like maybe a handful five years ago, and you grew up in the Philippines. How, mm-hmm. long, how long did you know that VC. was a job, or like you could people could be venture capitalists without being rich, right? Like
1: what was that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I only knew about VC. as like, you know, one of those dictionary definitions. It's like, hey, it's an asset class. <laughs> um, I didn't know it was a real job until probably four years ago. So I moved to the US, like you said, five years ago, and was doing my MBA at Kellogg and found out about V.C. during my second year. That's really when I just got to know, okay, what the V.C. person does and so on. So, it, And when I learned about it, it was a pleasant surprise. I didn't know, like, hey, okay, people do this for a living. But that's a long answer is, like, saying, I only got to know about it four years ago.
0: Did uh, Does Kellogg, like, I guess, like, most people who do MBAs, I don't know if it's necessarily, like, trained, like, there's a requirement to, you know, take V.C. classes. Do you feel like you were you just were lucky one day and you saw like some venture capitalists came in or kind of like what did Kellogg do to uh, Mm -hmm. push you in that direction?
1: Yeah, I'll say Kellogg or business schools in general don't push people to VC in general. I think it was more of like, hey, there's a bunch of career tracks that all business schools do. Kellogg is included in that when they explore different career paths. And just so happens like, hey, I decided to go to VC, career track. And then got to meet a bunch of vcs and learn about that i think more of the reason why i decided to join those treks was because hey it's a trip to san francisco and i like san francisco <laughs> um so it's, it's kind of like um happenstance
0: right it's it's a hard job to get like uh, i always remember people talking about how you know there was a statistic where it's harder to break into vc than get a football job or like be in the nfl I don't want to get too much into it, but like, was there like a special tactic you used to like get them to give you an offer, or like just luck, or what do you think? Like, you had to show them to
1: impress yeah. that offer, you know what I mean? I think it's everything that you hear and um hear and read about from you know blog, different podcasts and articles that you have to put in the effort. But I would say really, it's also ninety-nine percent luck. Um, uh-huh. So you need to put put in all your effort, but whether you get one or not is still determined by luck. And admittedly in my case, it was by luck. Like I did all of the usual like hey, being annoyingly persistent when it comes to contacting and following <laughs> up with people. But I'd say hey well let me maybe a step back. Um to illustrate the the luck factor is like I interned at the um for for a while during my second year in business school and all the while they said like hey we don't have a spot for you this is just don't expect a conversion into a full-time job and then a couple months into after graduation they said, just called me up oh this is partner <laughs> so it's it's really hard to plan
0: oh yeah yeah true true i've uh kind of examined like creating my own fund and just like the management fee structure and like, you know, a lot of things that people probably misconceive about venture capital is, uh you know, depending on the fund, they're either funding you out of their own pocket or, you know, offer of returns or off of like the 2% management fees. So it's, you know, that's what also contributes to the difficulty of it and also scarcity of mm-hmm. just opportunities. And then there's also the mass, um, you know, applicants you would have to compete or people just deal with so. That's that's amazing. Shasta Ventures, right? They're they're pretty well known. I was looking at the website and mm-hmm. I um have known about them for a little bit. I think like one of the things my friends funded was co-funded, co-invested with Shasta. But when you're working at Shasta Ventures, just tell us what that was like. Just uh it's a very interesting fund. I know they've backed uh Canva and like bigger mm-hmm. successful IPOs in the past. Just uh how was your experience like work, working with them? Yeah,
1: i worked with Shasta for three years, and I'd say it's a great experience. I think if the VC in general is an awesome uh, job, um, although I'd say it's more of a retirement job. Um, but I'd say my experience with Shasta is great. So it's been three years. What we focus on, for the folks who don't know about Shasta is like, hey, it's an early stage um, fund, focused on seed, Series A stage, but also focused on the B2B software space, particularly enterprise software. Um, so, what I did there was uh, like, could spent a lot of time sourcing, spent a lot of time just finding great founders and great companies to partner with, and then figuring out if there's a way to partner. That's a, uh, I guess, a synth way, although abstract way of describing what I did at Chasta.
0: Yeah, yeah. You looked at, uh, was it a lot of AI stuff for a lot of enterprise, like big, big uh, software deals?
1: Um, yeah. That's right. So just the one area I focus on has been the data and machine learning stack that has to do with my first job way back in the Philippines was as a data scientist. It wasn't called a data science job before, um, but effectively, I was a data scientist, I was models for banks, helping determine, hey, how risky is this particular car loan, credit card loan, and this corporate loan, and couple years fast forward, data statistics became, data science now became machine learning. So I just kind of, you know, marketed myself as someone who's done data science before and focused on that. So I've looked at a lot of stuff um, invested in a number of amazing companies and part with amazing founders in that space as well. I'm happy to cover those, but yeah, For that's what sure, i yeah. covered the that chapter.
0: Yeah, very, very cool. I, I mean, I think enterprise is traditionally what the Silicon Valley VC model was based off, right? In a lot of the... Uh, sense because um i guess traditional businesses they wouldn't really qualify for vc because i guess software that scales like immensely fast right like Mm -hmm. just seeing you know new companies every month um and not only from your newsletter but like just in the news uh you know enterprise um that stuff is a lot more scalable than like like competitive like other industries like consumer like you, you, you could see it right like what um when when you're looking at like back in the day or at Shasta, when you were looking at the software companies to invest in, mm-hmm. what uh like what do you think um were true competitive advantages that they had uh say for like things you've funded in the past?
1: Yeah. I think one key element that I focused on, especially since I focus on AI stuff, is just the competitive mode that data brings. Because um, oh. it's you know all AI are driven by models, and models are all determined by how good the data is. So the focus is then like, hey, do you have a data fly effect? So that's one, right? Okay. So I mean, I'll use a cliche example. It's like Google just knows what you're searching and what you're clicking. So it's able to use that as a way to train its rebuild its own algorithm so that it knows to show the top links as the links that you're, you're what users actually want to look for. So I apply the same kind of idea when it comes to some of my investments in Shasta. Um, for example, one of the companies I invested in uh, is a company called Hasting.ai based out in Germany. They've now been acquired by Cloud Factory. Um, and what they do is companies label their images really, really fast and they have this data file effect is because they suggest um, some automated labeling so that, you know, labelers don't have to manually do it. And then the labelers would just confirm, hey, is this the right automated labeling or not? They confirm, then that's a validation, like, hey, their algorithm works. If not, they'll adjust it and they know how to adjust it so that once they make future suggestions, then it'll become better automated labeling suggestion.
0: Wow. So like the AI just, you know, (laughs) it makes it, um, it automates a lot of stuff that humans would have to do. Right. And like, that's kind of the power of AI, Um, Mm -hmm. just even the enterprise context, I feel like for the common, I guess for someone who's not involved in looking at enterprise or is a software engineer or a Mm -hmm. data scientist, like that stuff becomes very difficult to like comprehend for you, for you as a venture capitalist, when you were a venture capitalist, like understanding those deals is, is pretty difficult, right? Was there something that you had to, that you did to help like, you, I guess, comprehend difficult to understand mm-hmm. technologies? Does
1: that make um, sense? <laughs> I think it's, it's just a matter of time and focus. Um, time is like, yeah, just give yourself time um, to to learn about the subject. I think that also has to do with the fun strategy. So Shasta is quite pieces-driven. So we'd like to know a particular space whenever we meet the entrepreneurs. So it's like, okay, we're not just like Giving, giving people money, we actually can relate to the founders and the people building it. And then the other part, focus, is like, okay, we're focused on B2B software, and that just so happens within the fund, every investor had their own swim lane, which is them to focus. For example, if you ask me about crypto consumer marketplaces,
2: I have no idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, just <That's> an- <laughs> Um, Hey hey, Ken, good question so how how do we know as a VC which is the right mega trend to bet on because that's kind of the hard part right like you can talk about AI and stuff but you know maybe five years ago um, no one's talking about it a lot of people are talking about you know hardware networking maybe healthcare and now obviously mm -hmm. there's this big crypto push you know web3 I mean Mm -hmm. how do you know I guess if, if you're the right mega trend or you're kind of going to a trend that could go fizzle out?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's part of the VC's job. Um, part of the answer is like you just never know. You just follow your interests. Um, and then the second part, well, sorry, maybe I'll, I'll double-click on the first part. Yeah, that's like, hey, you follow your interests. Because in every field, there's always something new, something innovative that you can kind of expand about. Like, examples like, hey, AI for a while, for the past few years, I'd say, well, sorry, maybe maybe I'll give a whole clear timeline. Maybe from 2020, maybe 2018 to 2020, somehow I felt like AI was more of like repeating the same deep learning architecture. Like it was it was just the same generation of AI, just tr- trying to apply different data and different applications on it. But um, now there's this new generation, so maybe I'm looking at it too much from an insider's perspective. But for a while, I thought AI was kind of stagnant, um, that there were no new, uh, that change innovations. But suddenly, just because of my interest, I kept at it. There's now this whole new field of foundation models that's kind of popping up right now. So I think stepping back, the key point is like, hey, if you're interested in a field, just keep at it. There will always be something new. Um, and then second is like one way to know what the mega trend is, is to, the usual, look at what everyone else is doing and see what bubbles up from all the social media filters. Um, one good way to look at it, if you're not a VC, is like, hey, pick five VCs, the top VCs, and then just look at what they're investing in. Because VC's job is to always look for what the next mega trend is, and you yeah. can just tag along with them
0: very true yeah i i mean um uh I, I think like another thing about venture is like um you have to invest in so many companies to to find a unicorn right it's not just all of them are good so i guess like mm-hmm. the trend the trend stuff is like uh you, you you'll um or i guess like people who are in venture they'll they'll find out by just the duration of the investment and mm-hmm. i guess like there's really no way to know right like no one knows the future at all so but that's a great point like you know look at what other people are doing because um yeah the, 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 the um there's people who um have a lot of influence at first so like if they're mm-hmm. doing something that's very good to follow and, and learn from that i think one, one more thing i want to just hear from you is like what uh what 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 made you want to stay in venture because i feel like a lot of people, or a couple of people are, you know, it could also be opinion there that um, somebody will learn that VC is not for you. And I guess like, you kind of did switch mm-hmm. into another new industry not too long ago. But uh, when initially restarting, starting, like what got you to want to be in venture, like stay there just because you know, it's not for everyone, right? Like,
1: Yeah. not for everyone. Um, <laughs> the, the reason why I got attracted to it is because when I first learned about it, and up to this day, I still think it this way. It's like VC is a job where you get paid to learn about new stuff, and then you get paid to help people achieve what they want to build. And to me, it's like, wow, that's such a fun job, right? Um, yeah. Who wouldn't want to be paid to learn or paid to help other people? Um, so that's what made me s- stick with VC. And even though I switched jobs, there's still the mindset that I have is like, hey, um. Well, a couple of things. In my job, I still feel like I'm getting paid to learn because the way my team is structured, is was like, hey, we're very thesis-driven and we deep dive into areas and we learn stuff, so I'm getting paid to learn stuff. But also, like, stepping back while I moved out of BCs, it felt like there was a ceiling when it comes to the other part of how I describe the job of helping other people. Like, um, there's only so much I can help as someone who hasn't, been part of a large company or helped build a team or product and wanted to get that operational experience. Um, maybe this is segueing into a different section, but that's the reason why I moved from shock to corporate. Um, gotcha. Okay.
2: Yep. yeah. Yep. No, Ken, and I guess um, maybe my last question until we segue towards your story is, you know, uh, we have a lot of listeners here that are, I guess, people who are about to start a company or already started a company mm-hmm. Um, As a VC, how do you filter out the entrepreneur? Like what makes a great entrepreneur that's investable versus one that's not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put on like the pre-seed seed seed here um, because we're going to focus on on the entrepreneur itself or himself or herself. Um, Two things that always are great. Um, One is pretty easy to do. Is their founder problem fit? Like, has this founder encountered this problem before and just wants to solve that same problem for everyone else? Um, and then, but there's always entrepreneurs who want to build stuff outside of the problems they face in the professional experience before, right? And so you can't use that kind of offhand assessment for, for this segment of entrepreneurs. And the best way to assess this group of entrepreneurs says, how fast do they ship or how fast do they build companies? Right. So it's rare that VCs would invest in the founder just during the first meeting. That happens. That's what you hear in all the media headlines, But that that's actually the super minority. Mm-hmm. What happens is like for most investments, they've known the founders for months. And from there, VCs can assess, hey. Uh, what what changed in the past three months what changed over the past six months, and you can get a feel of it of like hey, have they got more users more customers um more team members how how much has the product changed so really about the velocity because in the end you sees what they're betting on is velocity of of the company's growth, and this is a great great way to look look at stuff.
0: yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point uh velocity of company's growth, I think you know um a lot of I, I think like maybe that's overlooked a lot of the times or just from the common person like i, I guess like there's good VCs and not good VCs, um but yeah velocity of companies growth that's like a very interesting point because they want returns for their lps in mm-hmm. the near future and if that can be in three years versus uh 10 years you know that means maybe a new fund all that stuff you know intangibles but um i think i think Ken, like, I, I like to ask you something that's like uh like a, a question I'd probably ask for entrepreneurs, but mm-hmm. you know, as a VC, it seems like you have like this bird's eye view into what they're doing. So it's it's you have a lot of data too, you're good with data. Um but I feel like in entrepreneurship, right? Like when anyone's starting a new company and especially in the SaaS space, uh mm-hmm. it's like they they need to have the skills to build it but like skills to build the product and then they need to have the skills to scale it and like grow a team and like all these other factors like uh, sales or like um, marketing and all these different things. When, when you guys like funded a company in Shasta um, mm-hmm. do you feel like the best founders are the ones who can just give a lot of the work that they're previously doing onto other people they bring in or how do you perceive like growing a company, I guess, cause you know, that's something you also witnessed. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it like how does a founder's job change over time?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah like or how do they how do you think one would best um just uh get away from doing so much and like having other people do it or just actually what you asked what you had just it's kind of like about.
2: growing the team or growing the business right how to scale not not just the business but your team right and yourself then
0: yeah 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 exactly
1: yeah. Well, definitely founders have to delegate. Um, There's only so much they can do, and there's only so much stress they can handle as well. Um, (laughs) A founder's job, um, probably early, you can relate. It's like at the very early stages, you you do everything, but then eventually you have to delegate so that you can focus things on the you know highest ROI activities. For example, maybe in the earliest stages, it's talking to users and potential customers because what you want to do, the most important thing, is to know what to build so that customers will at least try it. But once you're in the later stages, you have to delegate that to a product person because next, the biggest problem is like, okay, now we have a product. How do we go ahead and sell it? Then you're going to focus on like, hey, have we tried all the different road and demand generation strategies? Well, have we talked to potential partners, right? So you definitely have to learn how to delegate, and what you exactly delegate depends on what's most important. But Earl, I'm sure we can share more here. As <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting as as a board member or observer from the outside, but you're actually on their shoes right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 good, Ken. I think you know that that's something. I think one of our investors told us that. Uh, you know, in the beginning, it's just a couple of you, and you have to do everything. But the hardest part, actually, as a founder, is to is, is that point to actually give the trust to someone else. Um, it, it seems that it's the uh, one of the hardest ones. Um, qu- quick question, Ken. Here is you know, um, tell us more about, I guess, your you know your your background. Kind of you know, how how did you, I guess, ended up in, in VC? I mean, and Dan already mentioned you know you were doing a little bit of data science in Philippines, but you know, do you think at the time you're already kind of inclined to do what your work is right now?
1: Mm, not at all. I think it only makes sense looking back, but you know, it's hard to plan moving forward. Um, so the whole background, which Dan, we've been talking about before the show, is I spent the first 23 years of my life in the Philippines, um, and my first job, Worked there for about two years was as a data scientist building models for banks. And at that time, it was a very finance-oriented data science. So it was like, hey, what can I do to grow myself? I think I've gotten a good sense of statistics, financial statistics. Um, How else can I grow? And as, as Earl, you may probably relate to this as someone who grew up in the Philippines as well, it's like one way that Filipinos like to grow is to go outside the country and look for opportunities outside the country. Um so off and we go to countries like Singapore, US, or Hong Kong. In my case, I went to Hong Kong where I worked in investment banking at the Evercore, and I wanted to up level myself in the financial skill set. And then spent a couple of years there, really enjoyed Hong Kong, especially food, and then decided like, hey, I want to take a break. When I took a break, one of the things I did was I want to continue up leveling myself in statistics and data science, and that's when I first flew into San Francisco. Uh, So I did back then, a couple years ago. It was very popular to do those boot camps, coding boot camps, data science boot camps. So I did that for for a few months here in San Francisco, and that's where when I fell in love with San Francisco. Um, Nice (laughs) man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. The energy is different. Um, So. Kind of like as I was doing this gap year and traveling, um, I had in the back of my head, it's like, hey, I'd like to eventually live and work in San Francisco. So, did my MBA explore different paths there? And somehow, I guess that's the connective tissue to how I got to where I am now. Very, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: have a. My parents are both from the Philippines, but uh, I, I was lucky to grow up in San Francisco. And I'm kind of like you. I don't. I don't want to move, but I do have this sense of I want to see what else the world has to offer. So you know, one day, one day I'll be somewhere else, but I guess I'm, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to get out of here. Like it's uh, it's either, you know, it's uh, hard to pick somewhere else you think could rival this place. So it means a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a special city. Well, I guess like maybe just from the, I guess work like the VC the aspect, like we know that Silicon Valley um, is the the birthplace of BC, right? So, but uh, I think like from you know, just understanding the entrepreneurship that happens here that, that maybe mm-hmm. people don't know know too much about, um, mm-hmm. especially if they're new to the area and they just start seeing uh, founders everywhere or just, I guess, like big ideas, new companies, all that. Um, what, what do you think it is about San Francisco that makes that the place for that? Like, I know we went into remote work like, you know, two years ago and it's continuing, but um, what do you think it is about this area that makes uh, uh, startups and SaaS particularly? yeah the, the the soil fertile you know
1: <laughs> yeah um i think one number one thing is just the attitude towards taking big risk uh-huh. and failing right um taking big risks and having big vision and failing are totally encouraged you know, uh-huh. relative to other places in the world like and that kind of ties into ambition as well like you are encouraged to doing big have big ambitions the difference with um say the philippines um for example is like hey entrepreneurship there is super super healthy super strong everyone has their own little side gig but the difference is like these are tend to be you know i'll start a little catering shop a little notebook shop so the the Business there is more about hey lifestyle, small amount of pop shops. Um, the difference here is like, hey, you're, what's encouraged is, hey, if you're going to build a business, build a business that'll change the world. Yeah. That's the default mindset.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then the venture capitalists come in and say it has to hit 100 million revenue. That's kind of like Exactly. Year, and and you have all <laughs>
1: these money and pressure, like, hey, you have to get 100 million revenue. <laughs>
0: very interesting man um i guess like i i mean i kind of did some research on you not not like in-depth research but you you have a family restaurant, or like they make filipino food like what kind of food
1: was it yeah restaurant was yeah. it yeah <laughs> so um my, my parents started a restaurant just to keep us alive and uh, going in the philippines that's our sure. source of income um and they do i say chinese food so not so much filipino oh. food there's a lot of competition already for the food in Philippines. So we're like, hey, we have a Cantonese heritage. So our first restaurant was, is it, is it is a restaurant called Eat Fresh? It, it was a different concept before, but now it serves a lot of mainly Cantonese food. And then now, since I spent some time in Singapore as well as with my siblings, my parents decided like, hey, why not cook Singaporean and Southeast Asian food as well. So we have a different ah, cool. concept, restaurant concept called chocolate which means cheap in English and there's mainly Southeast Asian there.
0: Did, when, when you were at Shasta, did you, uh, does Shasta look at like international deals too or they just focus on, I guess it was German when you spoke was in Europe, but do they, do you ever looked into funding things from
1: um, Philippines or? Southeast Asia? Um, we wasn't that we did look at it. It was more like there wasn't anything that we decided to eventually find or partner with. We did um, some, some investments in greater Asia-Pacific though. for example, like one of the ones you mentioned Canada. We invested in Canada, based out in Australia. We also invested in New Zealand um, in a company called love you and another one that I'm not <laughs> sure if it's this close yet. Um, I mean, this is, I'm talking in present tense, but that was in the past for, for Shasta Ventures for the listeners, uh, right? right, right. Um, but we looked at it everywhere. It just so happens. Like most of the software companies that I have grown big had tended to be not from the Southeast Asia or the East Asia region. Gotcha.
0: So, did, did you work out of i uh, I've been to Canaan partners. Did you work out of a uh, South park ever? Yeah. Built.
1: yeah, that was where I spent my first year until COVID at the time.
0: True, true, true. What was it like working at South Park, right? Because it's like a... Did you ever bump into somebody on that playground or like that cafe? And you're like, oh, that's a deal. Like I'm a VC, like total venture capitalist style. Or um, it... I
1: don't think it's as hyped up as right how you I mean, describe that. But definitely, you may meet all VCs there because that's where all the VCs are. Um, so you definitely meet them on the playground, you meet them in the cafe. But I don't think I've seen anyone kind of butt into a conversation like, "Oh, you're doing a deal. Let's talk to me as well." I've never it's, seen that. Yet. <laughs>
0: it's 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 very interesting. Just I I, I um. Well, for instance, I was in Palo Alto like a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago and then I was eating at Palo Alto Creamery and this guy he was just talking about venture and he had one mm-hmm. of those I, I would say he had a VC accent, but it turns out that he was an uh, ex uh, VP of finance at PayPal and worked for Elon Musk yeah. and but it was just like I bumped in I had to ask him something and like he was really receptive yeah. and he was like, hey, you know, come join us and there's an MBA student at Berkeley and yeah uh, very very, <laughs> very cool. I think that's that's something else that's um, special about the Bay Area where, Mm-hmm. There's a welcoming of those ideas, right? Like, not yeah. not so much in other geographies, but certainly it's championed here. Well, I, I guess Ken, like what was one major thing that you learned from being a SaaS VC or software enterprise um venture capitalist? Like not maybe, maybe not just business, but just in general. Like what was yeah. uh, some major takeaway you had?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's just always this maybe more as a VC, is just keeping up in mind. Like, huh? as a thesis-driven investor, you always have opinions. Um, the thing is, like, the, the right phrasing there. And I think, I forgot who from Andreessen said this, but, hey, as an investor, you should have strong opinions, but, you know, you get easily swayed by data and other information. Um, and I think applying that to, to life in general VC is, like, that's helpful because you just can't predict what trends will pop up. For example, like I didn't think Web3 or crypto wouldn't have anything because I just never got it, understood it. I had fun with it, but I never understood it. But it's about keeping an open mind like, hey, even though you don't think something will pop up, that it might eventually pop up and you have to be ready to adjust your mindset to it. So it's really just keeping an open mind in general.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I I used to work in a VC fund too. And I think the partners, like they would have very strong stances. Of course, they've done this for like, 10 plus years and then mm-hmm. trying to argue when you were uh doing like an investment committee like as an associate or analyst like there were times right where you really believed like a deal would work mm-hmm. but you had to try really really hard and speak in um just opinion based uh because you know you all look at the numbers and mm-hmm. maybe the criteria is not there yet but then you just have a good feeling about a founder right like mm-hmm. were you ever just uh uh like uh Working your butt off to convince somebody to invest, right? Because like it's a multi-multi person decision, right? To deploy the campaign.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it works both ways as well. Like, like uh-huh. why should we not invest? Um, but my approach has always been to the extent that we can use use data. Um, data doesn't have to be numbers necessarily, although numbers are super helpful. It's like, okay, we just need more data points to understand why something is great. For example, right. Um, let's say it's a stage-stage company, there's no revenue, really. But you're able to get a sense of how much work a founder has done just by asking them like, hey, how many people did you interview to define what are the prior- what features to prioritize? Is it five, is it 10, is it 20? Of course, you have to kind of calibrate it depending on what, what segment of the market they're targeting. And then from there, you can click in, okay. What's your questions? How did you do prioritization with the team? And then why did you decide like that? So you can go many levels deep to understand like, hey, how much effort has one person put in? And that's a really, really good data point. So that's kind of one qualitative example of like hey, be data driven.
2: Wow. Yeah, can yeah, you, yeah. We're okay. good, good question. Mm-hmm. Um, before I guess we we go to the, the you know standard wrap-up segment, but Mm-hmm. Uh, how did how did you or even just general like vcs how do you approach conviction right like how do you know that yes this this is we're now ready to deploy you know millions of dollars to to this team and this idea just because i think that's really the mystery box of a lot of our listeners of like you know you can keep on pitching right and go to pitching events but obviously you mm-hmm. might win money so it's pretty obvious there right but yeah. you know, shark tank but really like what happens inside like really to get the people to say yes, this is the team that I want to spend or just use my you know my my limited amount of dollars to to use uh co- compared to the hundreds of others that pitched to us before. Yeah.
1: I think it has the way I described it, probably not the best way to describe it, is like it has to check all the boxes. Not that there's a standard list, but you know, it has to be where all of the different criteria are checked. All the different criteria are so different for different VCs, but generally like Hey, this is a really great team. Has to be really great product. This is a big market. This is a attractive deal terms. This is someone would like to work with for the for the longest time. Everything has to check out. And there's any yellow flag or like you know average criteria for one of them, then a deal will not converge. Um, so I'd say all of those factors have to kind of play in, um, and sometimes it's just by luck as well. Like. Because different VCs will have different perceptions of what makes a great vendor. But I'd say all of those kind of right criteria apply.
0: Yeah, I like your last point. Uh is this someone you want to work for more than five years with? <laughs> it's yeah. just uh it's just uh I think uh that's not spoken of spoken about enough. I feel like um, you know, personalities. You know, if you're giving, you're getting equity in something. It's very important mm-hmm. to to get along with those people.
1: <laughs> and you, we've That's obviously
0: right. seen like hostile takeovers or just uh, I don't know, just um, ways that that can go south if it's the wrong person. So, well, one more thing, Kent, I want to talk to you about your newsletter. It's a coiled, right? So, yeah do you do you source all these? Do they come to you? How do you figure out what to write about? Like, how's that go?
1: Yeah, so there's a bunch of usual criteria that you know, it's kind of like indicators of founder or startup potential. And basically I just use that criteria and apply it to one of the, you know, venture startup databases to pick out companies. So maybe stepping back like for the listeners, Quild is is a newsletter. One of its kind of, I guess segments is um, a daily publication featuring one company with signals of becoming a unicorn. Um, you know, and that now that listeners you know what it is, is like back to you, Dan. It's like, hey, that's what I do. Like, hey, there's a set of signals. Some of them I tested myself. Um, since I was a data scientist, I played with the data to see what signals are relevant. But there's also a great book, probably advertising on a DC's book called Super Founders.
0: Oh, uh, Thomas yeah, something. That's Ali T. T,
1: That's right. And he did his own study of bouncing and signals as well. So Fair. apply that same framework and and
0: right very, 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 very interesting one of the companies you you wrote about was uh i think they were called their founder was um narrator ai you, mm-hmm. you know about them right uh, yeah med that yeah. was a
2: very he was a guest
0: right yeah he was yeah, i interviewed him yeah. he he raised uh did you did you guys invest him or he was no. initialized can, can have you ever met random have you ever met gary tan before just deal for session. initialized no i met him at ceremony mall you've been there
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I, I didn't
0: know what to say like if when you meet maybe this is an off question but like say you were bumping to Andreessen like mark andreason at a baseball game or something do you mm-hmm. as a VC, i guess back in the day or even now like would you approach that from a can i work for you standpoint? like how do you how, well i mean maybe in your job right you met famous people like how did you or big name venture caps how how, did, how does a smaller VC or aspiring grower in bc uh what would you recommend that they do in that
2: situation
1: um yeah so when you meet celebrities well sorry maybe media celebrities are different but when you meet business celebrities i know i've never just approached them it's like you know i know you're much famous and successful (laughs) but you know what's in it for me what's in it for you kind of situation Uh because it's Admittedly, like, most of business is very transactional, so I don't I don't approach because I know I don't know what how long adds value to. Okay. okay, unless it's like a specific social situation <laughs> where you have this thing shared passion of like, hey, you're into dancing, I'm into dancing too. You know, <laughs> let's, when did you get into it and so on. But otherwise, you know, when I used to live in Palo Alto, so I see a lot of the billionaire VCs just in their flip flops and shorts walking around. I'll I okay. never
2: approach them just on their own. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. you well, know, that's something that someone told me before, that the way to you know, interact with, with billionaires is, is really about treating them as, as normal people, right? Like mm-hmm. exactly, uh, like these common interests or discussing about things. I think if you go into business mode, then they, they also go into business mode, which becomes transactional, right? So mm-hmm. if you go in there with a kind of personal mode, um, there might be a bigger chance for them to relate to each other. Um I guess, Ken, you know, my, my final questions here, which is a bit of the, the final segment of, of, of the podcast, is um, maybe one question, uh, which is, you know, if you had to summarize your own personal mindset in one or two sentences, what would that be? And maybe the second question, which which could take a lot of time, so I'm asking it now, which is, um, if you had to then, you know, give advice to your you know 18 or 19-year-old self in the Philippines, knowing what you know now, what would that, you know, what would advice be? Yeah.
1: So well, the first thing, um, I think two things come to mind. One is the mantra I always have in my head: is like talent is everywhere, but opportunities matter." Um, it's like, hey, you have so many talented people, talented people around the world. Sometimes you just have to give them the opportunity, and that's kind of related to one of the things we talked about earlier. There, I'm like, hey, have an open mindset not only about businesses and trends, but also about people, because great people come from every background. Um, and the second thing is like, hey, always keep learning. Always keep hustling. Always keep learning. There's so much more to life. And that will dovetail into my advice to my 18, 19-year-old self. Is like, hey, 18, 19 sounds young, but actually life is short. Yeah, um, true, so that. Always keep yeah. learning. Keep growing. Once like, I'm, I'm now in their 30s, is like somehow I feel like life is passing by so much faster than when I was a kid. And I feel like time is... is Life is so short. So, always True, yeah,
0: awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ken, Ken, one thing I asked a couple of people here before was uh, do you think entrepreneurship is more art and science or science? What, uh, what do you think?
1: Well, both. And I would say both is because starting a business is science. You apply, you build a product and sell it. That, that's clear science. But how to make a billion-dollar, $10 billion company, that's more art. <laughs> True.
0: <laughs> I guess, would, would you say that VC is more art or science too? Or would
1: you say the same thing, right? It's kind of. Yeah, I'd say it's art. It's definitely art. VC yeah. is art, VC right. is art. Starting a business is science, but VC and starting, building a $10 billion company is is art. Because so much of it is unpredictable.
0: Right, 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 right. <laughs> I think that... Uh, I think like the maths and and science gets championed a lot in BC just to, Mm -hmm. for the people who um, either apply to a fund or uh, what's it called, Uh, start a fund. Uh, Mm -hmm. There, there seems to be that, that, um, yeah, our popular perception would be that they're very good at math or like science. Mm -hmm. Right. But like, I think the art part where you can win a deal um, by being a friend to the person or being friends of a friend, that's that's also hidden in VC, right? Like that, that's what makes the job a little bit more fun, just working to secure allocation, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, definitely friendship matters a lot. Um but that friendship also gets developed over time. Right? Um, true. Because for for a lot of the deals that happen, it's not like founders pitch and they become friends suddenly because you were given money. That that kind of friendship is developed over time. Very true.
0: Well, one last question, Ken. Uh mm-hmm. what what would you say is your own words your your personal start of mindset if you had to say one it is personal what's
1: an example uh, what's I, well, maybe i will say thinking what's
0: yours <laughs> uh i think it's just people talk about resilience but I feel, I feel like over time we've developed or i've developed like my own opinion like my own i don't say thesis but just my own definition and i think it's doing something you love and finding a way to make it a business whether that's you know, a startup or a small business, I feel like it's doing what you love and also finding out the courage within you to just keep pursuing and, and hit a higher goal. I think that's yeah. that's why I would say it always
1: changes. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll change. Let's say mine is that much different from yours, but it's like, hey, if you have a goal, you might not get there the way you thought it would be, but there's always a way to make it work. Um, I love it. <laughs> there's always a way to make it work. You may have to do stuff that you don't like, but hey, you will have to until we get there. That's such a good point. You have to
0: do stuff you don't like because I think every business owner does stuff that they don't like. And even every employee, they do hundreds mm-hmm. of things they don't like. It's just a matter of uh, being able to do it and force yourself to do it. So <laughs> well, Kim, um, thank you so much, man. It's, it's been great hearing from you and learning about uh, your experiences in BC and also, you know, Filipino ties and all that stuff. Um what is what is uh the way for the audience to interact with them or you to interact with you? Is that so is that Instagram, is that Twitter, is that LinkedIn, your your social media, whatever?
1: Yeah, I think the best way is LinkedIn. Um that's yeah, that's the only social media I'm active on right now. (laughs) Um, not even active on Facebook anymore. Um, which says a lot about Meta's prospects, um, right? Right. But uh, LinkedIn, um, like Dan mentioned, I also run a newsletter called Quilt, so you can go to Quiltxyz or the LinkedIn page of Quilt as well. So very active in those, and actively monitor. Yep.
0: Well, Ken, yeah, thank you again, um, and uh, yeah, hope to keep in touch and continue to see cool things you do. With your your <laughs> job.
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Sarah. This was a good one.
0: Hey, thank you guys for listening to this great podcast. We hope you learned a thing or two. And, uh, as always, you know, shoot us a follow on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, uh, ramping things up. We got a lot of cool podcasts coming out. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to be launching merch, uh, soon. So, you know, get your significant other or your friend or your mother, your brother, whoever, um, a cool Star mindset's hat gonna be dropping those in the link in the description pretty soon and uh yeah happy holidays let's close 2022 on a high note and see you guys on the next one